if you can have someone help you produce your short film, even if it's someone who's never done it before, I think if you can just hand some of that burden off to a separate individual and allow yourself to focus a little bit more on like the creative and your vision for the project, you know, even if it's just finding someone to help you, I don't know, organize all of your like files or help schedule the day, even just a little task like that. As long as it's someone you can trust, even if they're even if they're new to the process, as long as it's someone you can trust, I think that's an incredible asset to whatever you're trying to do. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the sixth episode of the Unofficial Lost Year Phone Podcast. I am joined by Kristen Kitten Brandmeyer and guest Eric Harty. Say hello. Hey. Hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> so Eric graduated last year university uh, with a film major in 2018. 20... All right, 18. Oh, almost. Dang, yeah, it's it was coming up on two ago. years here. <laughs> yeah. Man, okay. Today's topic is producing a film in California Assembly Bill Five. All right. So uh, Eric, um, before we dive into the questions, you just want to give a little brief upon what you've done since you've graduated. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, graduated in, in 2018, um, coming out of graduation, uh, kind of the main thing was working with two of my partners, um, Alex Gilbert and John Wong, I think John, you've already had on the podcast, um, to kind of hit the ground running and, and get a commercial production company started. And so that's what, that's what I've been up to the last two years. Nice. All right. So, uh, Eric, for that production company, Long Division Film, you, for the most part, you take on the role of producer, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. So, so coming out of like school, I, I was kind of a little bit more in the the mindset that I wanted to be uh, a director, possibly a commercial director. Um, and one of the kind of changes that's happened over those two years is um, kind of discovering that maybe producing is something I'm more interested in. So I've made that shift. Yes. So let's just go through each one of us, uh, Eric, and then Chris, and then Kenton. Um, let's just define a producer. So Eric, what is a producer? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think producer is um, one of those titles that is kind of a catch-all term. Um, definitely in the film industry, there's a lot of those. Uh, so it's not unique in that way. But um, producer can definitely mean a lot of things. I think maybe the simplest way to think of it is they're kind of the one steering the ship and keeping things together and making sure that whatever it is they're making, whether it's a commercial, a short film, a music video, they're, they're kind of the one just making sure that the final product gets made. That's my take. <laughs> Chris, anything to add? Uh, I, yeah, I totally agree with that. I think as a director or as a DP will focus more on like a creative direction for the piece itself. The producer is there to kind of help guide the piece to its destination or to eventually what its product is going to look like. So um, on set on the day, a producer is really there to kind of like be another voice of reminder of where everything's going. Kenton. Um, I would say the producer is kind of the boss of the business aspect of the shoot. Yeah, the business aspect is a huge part of it as well, steering the ship and making sure the final product happens. Uh, let's just list some responsibilities for a producer. So in the same order, uh, Eric, uh, what is a re producer responsible for in terms of like um, actual uh, actions taken by him or other people or her? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you can kind of get into the weeds a little bit, I think, with maybe like sub-defining producer, you know. Are you a producer? Are you a production coordinator, a UPM, a associate producer, executive producer, blah, blah, blah. But generally, producer is responsible for a lot of the logistical elements. So if you're working on a project that's paying people, that's, you know, hiring people and making sure that you have everything you need for that. It could be, you know, booking locations, finding insurance, um, working with an AD to actually structure, you know, how all the days will run. Um, and they can also be working with like the director to kind of take all of their creative needs and ambitions and and find a way to make them happen, especially when, you know, there's there's kind of this like 
creative and logistics can kind of be at odds sometimes. And I think a big part of producing is taking the creative and, and bringing it into the logistical world and making sure that it actually, you know, it happens and kind of, kind of bringing it down to earth a little bit. Nice. That's a great definition. <laughs> oh yeah. Chris. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've kind of seen if you have a, if you're lucky enough to have a separate producer, um, I think it's really helpful that they kind of help ground yourself, like Eric was saying. They're kind of a reality check for all of your big ideas and big ambitions and big goals. And I think especially in a limited space of time and limited budget, um, you need to kind of have someone to kind of remind you that, hey, we only have so much time. We only have so much, you know, resources we need to do with what we can. But at the same time, they're there to help make the project happen. It's not they're not just saying no to things. They're saying, OK, here's what we can do to make this happen under these parameters. Hmm. Kenton. Okay, so what a producer does, right? Yes, uh, at least in terms of responsibility. Oh, well, they're kind of, in essence, the boss, but not like the main boss, per se, because that's sort of the director's portion of it. But they're like the ones that just make it run, make it happen, and they keep it on a good schedule. And they're pretty much the ones that, how Eric said, are they run the ship. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that at least it, the terms producer, at least the role and responsibility differs between like, you know, TV versus sure. um, at least feature film because um, while like, you know, the director is like the creative boss, the producer makes sure that the director can, you know, do everything that they uh, want to do or need to do. And then like, as you guys were saying, you know, uh, reality check them if it's not possible or maybe find a solution. Um, any one thing I, I will say on that as well. Um, when I was, I think, just coming into film school, I, I definitely had this idea that like the producers were like the, the suits, you know, like the business people, the money people, the, you know, make it happen, you know, kind of like whatever. Um, but since then, I've, I've grown to realize that I think a good producer is also very creatively invested in the project. Like, again, there's all these kind of like subtitles and, and different things depending on the scale of your project. But like, I think the first thing that made me realize that maybe my initial view of producing was flawed was that... Um, like when you think about like the Oscars, for example, when a movie wins best picture, like the award isn't given to the director, it's given to the producer. Mm -hmm. And I think to be a successful producer, you have to, you can't just be like a stone cold, like logistics money, <laughs> you know, whatever you have to be, you have to be just as invested as say the director or any of the other creative team that are, you know, invested in the project in order to pull it off and make it run smoothly. So while things like numbers and logistics are all really important, um, I think there's a lot to be said too for good producers being like really creatively involved as well. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And in like those feature films, you know, producers, you know, are at least the location managers, the wardrobe, the director and um, all the other heads of departments kind of come up um, and talk. Uh, and the producers kind of over them, you know, so, and that's not that's I'm mistaking, so I don't, none of us have, have worked on like a major feature film, so, but in like, in like that <laughs> none case, of us done that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, in, in that case, you know, how much work does the producer actually do if he has all these people underneath um, him or her? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a huge like case by case question. Um, really, I think producing something successfully like means like the, the main job in producing something successfully is getting together a team of people that are really good at what they do, getting them excited and on board and then letting them do what they do well. Mm. And so on the one hand, it can seem like maybe that's, Maybe that's not a lot of like, it can, it can appear like that's not a lot of work. Like you're not the, you're not the wardrobe person, like making the clothes or, you know, spending a 14 hour day, like 
I don't know, in, in the props department, like custom making all these props or building sets or anything like that. Um, so it can seem like a fairly like hands-off job in a way, but um, I think it really is about, you know, working with these people to like let their skills do the talking, you know? I think, I think something to add to that is that um, a producer to me has always kind of felt like a bridge almost. Um, yeah. They're the, really the people that a lot of other creatives or a lot of other heads of department go through to kind of work on a project. Often you're not going to be contacted. Um, you're not going to be contacted by the director. You're not going to be contacted by um, a DP usually. You're usually going to be referenced in a meeting or something. And then or some producer is going to contact you and often they are the official bridge to a project. And being a really good producer, from my experience and from my um, interactions with producers, is really, really helpful if they can communicate really well and communicate the scope of the project, but also how the project is creatively enticing. So like Eric was saying, they really do a good job at kind of getting people on board and making sure we're all on the same page and a minimum level of excitement to, uh, you know, input ourselves into the project. Nice. Kenton, anything to add on to that? Um, I guess, no, I think they covered pretty much everything I had too. <laughs> all right. Uh, moving on, bring and bringing it down to like student films in last year university. What does, a producer bring to a student film and like why is it a good idea to have a producer <laughs> oh man where do we start <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah uh we'll touch more upon chris and eric in this because they've made more films mm -hmm. in their time so uh chris i know you feel or have heavy thoughts on this so oh, yeah it's probably the the freshest in your mind Oh, gosh. Okay, so students are often not equipped with the luxury of having a separate producer. Often, if you're a student filmmaker, you are your own producer, you're your own executive producer, you're the one funding everything. Often, you're the one also directing or DPing or something. You're usually wearing like six hats at the same time, but just the producing side. A lot of, at least in our experience, some film schools do not teach lot of etiquette and how to produce something really well or at least a lot of steps or different ways to go about something and for a lot of us it's kind of like flying blind our first maybe time doing it or first second time doing it and that often starts for me in my first film I did a um, I did a film in my school's cam uh, chemistry department and I was thinking to myself well how do I go about this what do I do what's my first step and that means I had to get the location for the day or the hours that I needed it. I had to secure equipment for the day and the hours I needed it. I had to contact everyone that I could think of to help me make this film and get them on board with the project. I had to work with um, my DP at the time, who was actually Eric, um, and get him on board with the project. I had to um, then also do all the other stuff about <clears throat> getting, getting a budget together, getting... Um, all of our crafty, all of our props together. Basically, like you have to do everything you possibly can to get your film made. And for a lot of people, their first time is really rough because you always forget something. <laughs> um, but when you start to get into your more professional films or when you're kind of getting into your later years as a uh, filmmaker, you kind of have to up the ante and the stakes become a lot higher. So. For my junior and my senior uh, year film, I had to look into getting permits for filming locations from the city. I had to look into getting insurance covered by my school. I had to look into legal ramifications of certain, you know, days I would be filming, locations I'd be filming, etc. There's a lot of more contracts involved that you have to kind of cre either create yourself or find someone who is more versed uh, in that language to help you create a you know a decent contract so that everyone kind of understands what they're supposed to do and there's a lot more money involved and for a student that's you know who may have been going to school working at the same time building up funds and a budget to actually film their project when you start to deal with um, budget it starts to become a lot more real because a lot more decisions 
have a lot more weight to them. And as a student, it's not exactly easy to replenish those if you, uh, if you lose it or if it's gone. So I cannot stress enough how, how vital it is and how helpful it is to have a separate person helping you along that process. Eric. <clears throat> so what, what was the question again? Um, what can a producer do for student films and mm. why it's a good idea mm. to have one? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think anything you're looking to do is <laughs> if you can have like, I think any creative pursuit that requires like collaboration. So, I mean, if you're an artist, let's say, or a painter specifically, um, there could be an interesting potential in collaborating on a painting with someone, but it's something that you can totally do yourself. Kind of the unique thing about filmmaking is it's one of the kind of creative pursuits that is like intensely collaborative. Um, and obviously there's ways to make films entirely by yourself, which this whole quarantine situation I think is, is really showing people and reminding people, but um, it's one of those things where if you can have a great collaborative partner, whatever you're making, including short student films. Um, I think it's really, really, really valuable. If nothing else, just to have a bounce board, but then also to have someone kind of, I don't know, keeping you in check and um, that kind of thing. With student films, personally, I've never had the luxury of having like a producer, producer. Um, the projects that I made when I was in school, um, I think the closest I got to that was actually having Chris AD some projects. And essentially what that, that kind of came down to is having someone that I was able to hand my, my production plan to and basically just say, okay, while we're filming, like during the day, like all I'm gonna be doing is like directing. And even that's not true because like student films, especially uh, like no budget kind of scenario, you're you're doing so many things, but I was able to kind of like hand off like scheduling and keeping our day, those kinds of things to Chris and, and keeping people kind of in line. And that's the closest I personally got as like a director to having a separate producer um, on like a short film. I've had lots of people, <laughs> yourself included, Brendan, that have helped out <laughs> and kind of filled some of the gaps that producers uh, might, but like I've definitely never had like one person, okay, you're my producer, that's all you're doing, blah, blah, blah. But I will say that looking back on everything I've made, there are like, there's like an endless list of things that could have gone better if I'd had like someone there to help me produce it and kind of take some of that like logistical burden off of me. Um, so it's kind of a long lead up to if you can have someone help you produce your short film, even if it's someone who's never done it before, I think if you can just hand some of that burden off to a separate individual and allow yourself to focus a little bit more on like the creative and your vision for the project. You know, even if it's just finding someone to help you, I don't know, organize all of your like files or help schedule the day, even just a little task like that, as long as it's someone you can trust, even if they're, even if they're new to the process, as long as it's someone you can trust, I think that's an incredible asset to whatever you're trying to do. Yeah, that's huge. I think, like you guys both touched upon it, but because filmmaking is such a collaborative effort, and many times as a student, you're trying to wear, or you are wearing so many hats between like writer, director, producer, um, and everything in between. Like, at least speaking on the director side, because of myself, you know, having to do that. When you're in a director role and you're having to produce at the same time, it is extremely distracting. And it oh, takes yeah. your mind off of the creative process, like you said, <laughs> totally. Eric. And so to have someone there who can manage that all for you can just is would be just a weight off your shoulders so you can focus on the directing side, like you said, Eric. Yeah. So <clears throat> producers are huge if you can find one that you can yeah. trust and that you can hand everything off to. Yeah. I don't think it'll ever go away, like, you know you look at any any big like feature coming out now for one it's not uncommon that the director is also listed as a producer but even if they're not actually credited as one you know there's you can't just like you know completely be like the artiste and like go off and <laughs> you know 
sit in the back sipping a cappuccino and just watch all this stuff happen while you get to be the artist orchestrating things from from the back but like definitely everything you can do to like put as much of your energy into the actual creative work is is good kenton do you have anything to add on to what you said um no not really i have oh maybe maybe we should ask this uh, do you have a, do you have any questions of like producing or a producer role or maybe how you as a student can find a producer? Uh, yeah, definitely how to find a producer because I know in our department at least there aren't many people that have produced much. Totally. Yeah, I remember that being kind of like a not like a maybe kind of like a dirty word when I first came in. It was like I don't know people people just like didn't talk about producers well you know there's kind of this idea that like i want to be a director and like oh, i guess i have to have a producer so whatever but like um yeah I, I remember that being tough for me and that's why i didn't have like any producers and chris I'm, I'm guessing that's why you didn't have like you did a lot of the producing on your projects as well um so yeah i don't honestly don't know like <laughs> a good way to find like an actual producer, quote unquote. But I think if you need help thinking about the people that you know, like friends or classmates that have a personality that might be suited to that, like whether they're organized or like, you know, good, confident, assertive people. Um, like that was the thing with Chris helping me out is, you know, mm -hmm. Chris was, I think you were like a sophomore when we shot um, my my junior film, but yeah, yeah, definitely like sound focused. Um, <laughs> never expressed any interest in like ading or anything like that. But I'm like, man, I need some help here. And Chris is like a no nonsense, um, assertive, confident person, and I think he could whip a set into shape. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I ended up being right about that. Um, oh, so man. I think I think if there's no one on the radar, Kenton, that like seems like a an actual like producer you might be able to reach out to, especially if it's like you're still in the student film space, mm -hmm. just like reach out to your friends or classmates that seem like they, you know, could be a good fit for some of those tasks. And I mean, I don't know, you probably can't pay them. So just, you know, yeah, <laughs> offer to like help out whenever they need, you know, that yeah. kind of thing, just mm -hmm. lots of like, I mean, that's all, what, that's all like film school is, it's just a lot of trading favors. and you know, mm -hmm. gaining experiences and helping people out. And mm -hmm. um, I mean, and if you're a, you're a sound emphasis, like that was a hard thing for me too. Like I couldn't find anybody to do like sound, you know, like no one wants to do sound and it's like mm -hmm. brutal because sound's so important. So like you have a valuable asset there that you can, <laughs> that you can trade, you know, if you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that I would be two... my advice. Yeah. I think I have two points on this. Uh, the one is kind of what we've a little bit touched upon before, but that if you can find anybody that take a little bit of stress off of you, mm -hmm. whether that just be one location or one aspect, that is like a lot. And then second thing, um, as like Eric said, like you probably won't be able to pay them, but like producing takes so much time and so much energy that it's like many people aren't willing to give that amount of time for free. And so that's why I think it's really hard to find a producer because it takes a very uh, specific personality and mindset in order to do that for free. And so, yeah, unless you can find that specific person, like you need to have someone that's on board with you and on board with what you want to do in order to like give you that time because mm -hmm. It's it's huge. <laughs> yeah, I think a good um, alternative because obviously you have your filmmaking uh, students that are your you know your colleagues and are kind of in the same boat as you, but it shouldn't dissuade you from asking someone outside the major or outside um, your smaller group because a lot of what producing is is really just communication skills. It's really about finding someone who can communicate your intention, um, what your film is going to be, the scale of it. Etc. And being able to communicate that to other people who may not be familiar with your project or with the process, and hmm. 
that person can really be anybody that they, they don't have to be a film major. They don't have to be someone who has done this before, but they have to be someone that can communicate really well. Hmm. So you don't have to just look within this. You need to look, you can also look at people that are extremely well organized and extremely meticulous, but also extremely good at talking to other people or communicating, you know, back and forth. So yeah, finding yeah. someone that will invest that time into you. Touching, touching on that, Chris, like, yeah, like, like he said, he did, he, that person doesn't need to have produced before, but they need to know what is needed as a producer. Because if they forget like one thing, it's like, oh, where are the bathrooms in this location? Then it's like, ah, shoot, <laughs> you know. We have no access to bathrooms and it's a 12-hour day. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh -oh. So they, they still need to be on top of things, and that is key to producing. Yeah. All right. So we've touched upon collaboration. We touched upon stress. We've touched upon uh, the type of person that makes a good producer. So uh, let's... Let's move on to the style of producing between uh, different aspects of filmmaking. So Eric, you've been producing for a lot of commercials recently. Um, how is that like differentiating, or how is that like compared to directing a student film or producing a student film? Yeah. Um, so I mean, aside from like having to kind of produce my own student films, um, really the only the only like producing experience I have is kind of in the commercial space. So I'm not, you know, super familiar with directing, like say like a short film, um, that kind of the, the end goal is just like telling a great story. Um, all the producing I've done, you know, oftentimes the goal is to tell a good story, but it's always kind of the real end goal is to tell a good story to like sell a brand or a product. Um, I think definitely the biggest difference for working in like the commercial space is that it's not enough for the project to just be good. Like it has to meet the approval and opinions of the kind of the, the one financing it. And, and obviously like if you're, if you're making like a feature film or something like that, that's funded by a studio, I mean, in that scenario, you're, you're making a film, but like you're, the studio is kind of the client, you know, like, they've invested all this money and they, at the end of the day, it's a business. So they're expecting a return on their investment. But I think it is a little bit of a different world than like, you know, a client kind of relationship. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that colors the process is, you know, the client has all of these like very black and white dry kind of needs. You know, they've got to get a certain number of people engaging with their brand they've got to sell a certain number of products or get a certain number of people that come to their store or their whatever um and so they have these very like straightforward kind of like drab incredibly non-abstract goals and finding a way to like take those and then first of all develop a creative idea to meet those and then when you go through the process of actually like making the commercial or whatever it is the branded content you know whatever when you go through that process, like making sure that the kind of boring, if you will, and needs don't take away from the creative integrity of what you're making. So like, obviously whatever you're doing needs to be in alignment with what the client has approved or agreed to, but like, you gotta make sure that those needs aren't, you know, impacting the creative people involved and, and you know, doing any any damage to the quality of the finished product you know that's like the biggest thing that i've noticed just comparing like commercial producing versus you know my own kind of like <laughs> rough self short film producing is you know it's it's kind of a different space when the end goal is like meeting someone's business need versus like i just want to tell a great story and i want to make something awesome not that one's better than the other but like you know, there's a lot more freedom in just doing something for the sake of doing it. And there's a lot more potential like pitfalls in the commercial space where you have to like hit a certain list of bullet points with the end product, you know? Nice. Before we, uh, we get to Chris and Kenton on their thoughts, Eric, uh, 
whether or you're hired on a project or whether you pitch for a project, how much of a creative uh, influence do you does a producer have on commercial filmmaking, or how much input do you want to put in creatively to, uh, to the client on the project? Yeah, so I mean, it kind of depends. <laughs> I think is it's kind of the frustrating thing, but all of these questions is it just kind of depends. For for me personally, um, kind of why I shifted away from from directing is that um, I realized that I really enjoyed being part of the creative process, but at the end of the day, that like ideation development phase is, is very like challenging for me and, and ultimately not rewarding. I think where I find, where I'm finding the most like satisfaction is, is in, you know, doing my best to, to give people the resources to develop their ideas and then making sure that those ideas, um, if they're for the purpose of like commercial filmmaking, making sure that those ideas align with what the, the client needs. And so my, I think I see my role as kind of like a, a higher up, bigger picture, managing all of the moving pieces kind of creative role. Um, obviously if let's say we're developing a treatment and someone has an idea to, I don't know, shoot a scene inside a car, um, and let's say it's a car commercial for like Ford and for whatever reason they want to shoot in like a Toyota, you know, and we're going through the creative process. Like I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to speak up and say, okay, well, we can't use another brand's car and this brand's, you know, car commercial. Like um, there's that kind of involvement. But at the end of the day, like I look to, I guess the other people in the process, creative individuals to come up with the meat of, of what's going on. And then, I work with them to find the best way to present that to the client so that the client gets as excited about the idea as we are. Nice. Yeah. Chris and Kenton, do you guys have any thoughts on uh, producing different styles of filmmaking rather than just short films for students? Yeah. Um, I can't really speak to producing for a commercial space or a documentary space. I really only produced my own stuff, which um, has been short films and like one PSA. So it really has not been a great swath of difference. But from what I've learned from my process of doing uh, student producing is that really student producing is asking, is just learning how to ask a question and learning how to ask for permission or a favor or whatever. And producing as a student is so important because it teaches you to kind of value how much work you have to put in ahead of time. You're kind of like learning to check the right boxes of, you know, asking for permission. Okay, we have permission. Okay, now we need to make sure we have insurance. If we don't have insurance, um, we need to make sure we have, you know, uh, a contact with this person or whatever. We need to make sure that we're telling all of these, you know, factors that are going to go into our filming on that day. We need to make sure that, you know, all of these other boxes have been checked. And so just from producing my own uh, films, what I've learned is that you need to try to check as many of those boxes as you can as a student, and you have to kind of be okay, or you kind of have to let go of the fact that you cannot check some of the boxes. But when you do have the resources and the time and, you know, later uh, and later productions, you should check those boxes because you realize how important those are to your production when they're actually happening. So a good example for me is that on my senior thesis, I was contacting uh, a business and we had, I had been contacting them months beforehand and been giving them time of day we're going to be there, working with them on their time so that we don't interrupt their uh, regular business flow, um, working to make sure they know exactly what we're going to be doing, when we're doing it, with how many people we're going to be doing it, the scale of what we need from them. Um, requesting things as little as a saucer for a coffee cup to something as big as a table, a window, you know, this area of their uh, place. And the whole you building. Can <laughs> yeah, but yeah, basically. Which, um, even as, as a student, you kind of have to kind of preface a lot of people because in the process of you understanding the filmmaking process, you're also trying to describe that to another person who may not have any relation to that at all and may not realize to what scale you're actually talking about. Um, and so even if you do everything right, you check all the boxes, you give them 
a lot of money, you know, if they at the end of the day come over to you and say, this is not what we agreed upon, you're kind of out of luck. Because unless you have a formal contract with them, you can't really hold them to their word, which is really frustrating. But as a student producer, you kind of have to learn, okay, well, next time I need this. Next time I need to have this in place. Next time I need to write this up, have this in writing, have a signature, have you know more communication with them. Or you need to like figure out how to fill in those gaps so that you're, when you do another project later on in life, you can be more prepared next time for the what ifs that could pop up. So it's just, I think to me, student producing was about learning how to be careful and learning to figure out all the things I didn't know about interacting with someone outside of the film world. That's huge. Kenton, do you have any thoughts on producing or uh, what does the producer have to keep in mind between projects? Um, I actually had a different question in mind about producers for more of like the Hollywood side of it. Yeah, go. So who is like the producer's boss and like a Hollywood thing? Are they like sent out by the studio or are they just hired up with the rest of the like director, director, cinematographer, all that stuff when a film is decided upon to be made? I was just listening to the Film Riot podcast in which a producer <laughs> was on, but in that, uh, so of course we have the executive producers, which are the people representing the studio mm -hmm. or the people with the money. So in that sense, the executive producer is the producer's boss. However, the producer is still the one who is making sure everything happens. And so the producer is the, according to that person in the film ride podcast is above the executive producer. Hmm. However, if the, if the executive producer doesn't like approve of anything, then, uh, and then the, they get no money. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I think it's like, I mean, I, I'm not in that world. So I ultimately have no firsthand experience whatsoever, but definitely the way it seems to work is like like i think in that scenario so the executive producer the ep is you know potentially the representative of the studio or like like you said brandon or the one with the money um but like they're probably pretty hands-off overall and so they are the producer's boss but ultimately they've hired the producer to just make it happen so it's not like um the producer has to come to them for approval for every decision they make, but like um, they're hired to just make it happen. And if they don't make it happen, then they're in trouble. But like, there's a lot of, I think a lot of leeway there in, in making things come together. Hmm. Cause like if the EP wanted to do it all themselves, they just do it themselves. You know? oh. <laughs> but, but the EPs don't get the Oscar. <laughs> right. The EPs don't get the Oscar. They just get the, a huge paycheck there it is <laughs> mm -hmm. but yeah i think i think that's kind of the the answer is that the producer's boss is usually the one financing the project so that could be an ep or i don't know some other studio head maybe in the hollywood scenario that's that's my understanding of, of how that all works um but yeah it, it may not be i don't think it's as simple as like a i don't know you work at some office somewhere and you're the secretary and your boss is, you know, whatever, and they give you this list of things to do. I think it's a little bit muddier than that, but, but yeah. Yes. Any other thoughts, Kenton? Mm, no. All right. So uh, Chris, you touched, up, you touched upon communication uh, with a person, whether that be a location manager or anybody else in general. Mm -hmm. So, how important is communication as a producer? Immensely. <laughs> Immensely. I cannot stress enough how important it is. And especially if you're a student producer, you need to give whoever you're talking to, whichever location, whichever person that's lending you a favor, you need to give them as much information as you have possible. The main reason for that is because ultimately you're not paying them or you don't have the budget to pay them what they should be getting paid 
or you don't have the resources that you should be allocating to that, but you're really asking them for a favor and a help. So the least that you can do as a good student producer is to give them as much information. That could be a copy of the script. That could uh, be time you're going to be there with how many people, et cetera. And the reason for that is because you don't want unexpected things to pop up on the day that then you have to answer with no preparation time. You need to make sure that you're giving whoever is doing you this favor, you're giving them the utmost confidence that their favor that they've given you is well worth it. And that ultimately you are going to treat their place, their objects, their whatever with respect and dignity. And if they don't believe that, then they can really just pull out their trust in you and call off that favor, which is entirely their right to do because ultimately they gave it to you in the first place. Eric. Yeah, I think, I mean, good communication is essential in anything, but there is like an extra burden, I think, when in any like pursuit that has a lot of creativity, like any kind of creative work, whether it's commercial and business related or you're just producing, you know, a short film that you, you feel really passionate about, just the fact that like the main everything's kind of built around abstract ideas like creativity and things like that. Um, I just think that makes really clear communication extra essential because it's not like something really cut and dry where like, Hey, I have like a messy, you know, I've got a mess in my office and I need a janitor to come in and clean it up. So very straightforward. Here's the problem. You're, you know, I know what the solution is. You know what the solution is. I just need you to go do it for me when you're dealing with like, so many abstract ideas and opinions and, you know, feelings about things. Communication is like so, so important just to make sure that everyone's on the same page and you're all, because, you know, someone may describe like a scene they want to shoot and they see it one way. And if they're not really clear about what they're talking about, if they don't maybe substantiate what they're talking about with, I don't know, reference imagery or things like that, you know, the other people they're talking to could be envisioning something totally different. And, you know, you may not realize that until, you know, <laughs> you get the set and the director's like, wait a minute, why am I on a wide lens? I wanted a, you know, a long lens. And the DP's like, oh, well, I thought you were wanting, you know, this. Like, it's really important, especially like in creative work, to be really clear. Kenton, as a crew member or as like a sound mixer, how important is communication to you well if you don't get communicated with you're pretty much just getting the whole project i'm talking about the post side of things for sound once you just have the project with no communication you're just making it the way that you think that they would want it so you you're just shooting in the wind pretty much <laughs> unless you have communication because uh, very true with that when if you do have communication you and good communication, you'll know what the director wants with this pretty much 50% of the film. And you will yeah. be able to produce that 50% of the film yourself and make it the way they want it. Yes. Chris, when you arrive on set as a production sound mixer, how important is communication um, to, on that? Um, on set on the day, I need to know when I, uh, when I need to be ready. Um, when I need to have my equipment up and running, when I have access to the actors or the talent or to wherever our location is to set up anything that I need to set up to do my job effectively. I basically need to know how where we are in our timeline, how much time I have, and so that way I could do my job the most effectively and safely. If I'm not communicating or if they're not communicating to me, it the one of the biggest um, one of the biggest risks of being on set is safety. I don't know if something is rigged up. I could be running into it. I could get hit by it. Something could fall and hurt me or someone else. If I'm not communicating what I'm doing to the rest of the crew, what I'm doing could hurt someone else. Um, but also creatively, if we're not all in sync and not all on the same page, like Eric was saying, I could be at a different pro uh, stage in my process of setup and be completely delaying the set and the time to uh, record, which could ultimately hinder the production as a whole. 
So when I when I arrive on set, my ultimate goal is to record good audio so that it can be used later for whatever production I'm on. And so anything that I need to know to do my job well is what I'm looking for as a sound mixer. So when you're on set, is that more the producer? Is that more like the assistant directors? Uh, yes, and. <laughs> um, uh, I think I'm looking for different information from different people. Um, if I'm coming on set and the producer is there, I need to know, um, okay, what what parameters am I working with? Or what do I need to be aware of of this location or this person or whatever? What special concerns should I be aware of as a sound mixer? Um, when it comes to the director, DPAD, how much time do I have? Where can I put my boom? When can I lob someone up? How much time between shots, et cetera? Um, basically, anything I can do to learn how to be more efficient on set is going to ultimately aid me in producing a better quality for whoever's mixing this in post. And ultimately, I don't want to make their job harder. <laughs> so anything I can do to help with that process, I will do on set. Eric, you kind of touched upon it a little bit before, but communicating with the clients, how important is that and how to communicate with clients? <laughs> yes, I mean, that's, that's kind of the Wild West there. Um, <laughs> so the last couple of years, the bulk of our, our work with Long Division has been direct to client. And so we're working you know, with the marketing person or something like that at, at the client. And... Um, the unique thing about the direct-to-client space in the commercial world is that you're often doing a lot more developing with them and, and potentially even helping them out with their marketing plan. Um, that's something that we don't typically do because that's, that's not our forte. That's, we're not marketers. Um, we produce the content that the marketers then you know, decide what to do with. Um, it's definitely like a two-way street. Like, you know, the, the end goal for the marketing influences how we make things, but um, at the end of the day, that's that's not our specialty. But um, the direct-to-client space, you do a lot more figuring things out with the client. Um, we're starting to move a little bit into kind of the low-end agency space. Um, and there's a few online platforms that allow you to, that kind of function like a pseudo-agency. And, and we've done some, some work in that space recently as well. And in those scenarios, when you're working in the agency world, it tends to be a lot simpler, I think, because usually they come to you with what they need. Like there's a brief, there's deliverables, there's, you know, the goals, there's, you know, sometimes there's an actual idea already. Sometimes there's just a goal and then you need to come up with an idea. But the main thing about like communicating with clients is I think just selling the quality of your idea and the fact that it'll accomplish their goals. And then once you're on board, once they're on board, you know, being really clear about what's going on and what you're doing to make sure that they, they feel confident that you're going to be able to do what you said you've done. And so sometimes, <laughs> I think sometimes the role of, the client producer or the executive producer, who's, whoever's dealing with that, part of their role sometimes is to be a shield, I think. Because um, sometimes clients, in, in our experience with some of these lower level agencies, you know, they've got these goals that they need to meet. And, you know, depending on who they are, their job could be riding on meeting that goal. Um, maybe literally, like if this job goes wrong, they're fired, or just like long term, they need to, you know, make a good impression. And so, a lot of times like feedback and stuff like that can be very blunt and rude even. Um, and so there's a lot of like appeasing the client that you need to do. And there's a lot of also sometimes repackaging <laughs> client notes before they make it to the creatives. Um, because at the end of the day, like, you know, you're making something for the client's use, but like, thing that gets you excited about the project is not the marketing numbers like you know no one sits out there and goes man i want to make this this great like branded short film because i want to sell you know a thousand cans of coke or a million cans of coke or whatever like no one you know says <laughs> and so there's kind of this ultimately there's a little bit of like a motivational disconnect and sometimes that can create some strife that you have to manage 
the communication between the two parties a little bit. Um, so there's kind of a unique uniqueness to the the client communication in terms of passing that along to your team. And then there's also just you have to be so clear about you know what your work is going to do for the client when you're working with them to keep them excited and you know confident in your abilities too. Nice. Do you have any bad examples that you're willing to say of um, communication gone wrong uh, with the client mm. or communication uh, between someone that you've worked with? Mm. Um, or how to like not to communicate with sure, someone? Mm. Sure. Um, well, I think the maybe the biggest thing coming from the creative team, people I'm working with, from our side to the client side, I think one of the biggest things is making sure like your idea may be really clear in your head, but I think I've, I've learned that it's really easy to, even if you have a built out treatment or a production Bible or something like that, you know, giving that to the client, you know, we've spent so much time developing this idea and thinking it through that it's all very clear to us. And sometimes you could be kind of blind to maybe some gaps that the client is going to pick up on that they don't, like, oh, that, that makes sense. Like, I've, I've seen a ton of things directed that look like that, so I can kind of visualize it, but maybe the client hasn't. So this information I'm passing along feels complete to me, but they're going to look at it and not understand what I'm talking about. So I think that's probably one of the broadest examples I can think of, maybe bad communication going to the client. You know, it's not anything that's going to necessarily upset anybody or cause any real strife, but, like, especially if you're in the early phases where you're still trying to get the client sold, on your idea and what you want to do. I don't think it ever hurts to like over explain and over clarify and over reference what you're thinking about. Go in the opposite direction from client to um, kind of to us and to our team. Um, we recently worked on a project where there was an element about one of the deliverables that the, the agency didn't like and there's kind of a lot of pieces at play, but it was an element that hadn't been discussed as far as like client approval goes. So there were a few things that they wanted to sign off on and we'd, we'd gotten sign off on all of those things. And this wasn't something they specifically wanted sign off on. And so they came back and they said, hmm, that, that's not working for us. I think we need to do a reshoot. Like this, this isn't going to work. Um, and Ultimately, I was on the phone with them and the person who directed this project and they proceeded to make a comment that they couldn't understand why anyone would ever do that that way because it's just such a bad idea and such a big mistake. So they were being pretty rude about the note they were providing. Um, and it's because they were frustrated because they, they didn't think it was working and they didn't want to show it to their client. They, they felt like they'd be embarrassed to show it to the client. And so I can understand where they're coming from, but they were being rude. And in my mind, I'm thinking two things. I'm thinking one, wow, I probably should have gotten specific approval on that, even though they didn't ask for it. And then two, I don't want the director on the phone right now because the client's being really rude about their feedback. And that's, well, I understand their frustration. That's not helpful. You know, like if something's wrong, let's work together to fix it, but we don't need to be rude about it, you know? And so, those are like two kind of examples off the top of my head right now of communication gone wrong both directions. That's great. Great for people to learn and uh, hear from. <laughs> yeah. And, and even, even that last one I just mentioned where, you know, it was kind of negative coming from the client. Ultimately that could have been solved kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier. If, if we'd communicated more clearly in the beginning about, that particular element, you know, if we decided what that was going to be beforehand, we wouldn't have run into that issue. So again, it's all about being as clear and upfront as possible. Communication is key when it is producing <laughs> or any other part of the filmmaking process. Yeah, exactly. So much. All right, moving on mm -hmm. to our last topic. If uh, yeah, I'll have still have time. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, Eric, California Assembly Bill Five. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. So what is it and what are its repercussions? Yeah, so I mean, 
January 1, 2020. Um, we, at Long Division, we kind of got the wind kicked out of us a little bit. Um, <laughs> we just moved into an office. We're picking up some momentum. Excited to kind of hit the ground running going into the new year. And um, this law came into place that we hadn't heard about, but it's, yeah, California Assembly Bill 5, also known as AB5. And basically what it is, simplified, is it's the state's attempt to make sure that freelancers are getting compensated fairly. Um, and mainly they're looking to target Uber and Lyft and get them to pay their drivers better. Um, because Uber and Lyft drivers are paid as independent contractors, which means that Uber and Lyft are not responsible for um, you know, any health benefits, um, the drivers are responsible for the full weight of their taxes, their employment taxes. Uh, typically when you are an actual employee of someone, you and your employer split the burden of your taxes in half. As an independent contractor, you have to pay all of your taxes. Um, but then that's also why the government allows you to write a lot of stuff off if you're self-employed or a freelancer. Um, but basically what it meant is Coming into 2020, it's extremely difficult to hire someone as an independent contractor. Um, you need to fulfill this. There's kind of this, this list of requirements that you have to meet in order to qualify someone as an independent contractor. And if you don't meet any of the requirements, you have to hire them as an employee. And so you're like, wow, what are, you know, what are we going to do? We're you know, a small production company, so our, our business model has been based around hiring all of our crew members as independent contractors. Um, you know, things like any kind of like secretarial staff and stuff like that, that we might need or accountants, things like that, that, that could possibly be on an employee kind of basis. But man, if I just need, let's say Chris, a sound operator for a one day shoot, am I going to hire him as an employee to, to come on for one day? Um, and so we kind of had to sort through that. And ultimately the way it kind of trickled down is yes, I am going to hire Chris as an <laughs> yep. employee for one day. Which has um, happened. Yeah, which has happened. Um, what we ended up doing is we, we ended up entering into kind of a relationship with a, uh, a payroll service catered specifically towards film production. Um, and they have a way of, managing things where it's streamlined to hire people for a set duration for a project and then terminate them once the project's over. Um, and I found out when we kind of had to confront this whole situation that that's actually not uncommon in Hollywood and, and kind of the, the industry at large. Um, it's not unusual for people to get paid, you know, to essentially become employees of the production entity on a per project basis. But that was new for us and also Kind of frustrating because all in it ends up adding about a 21% markup to the cost of hiring someone. So someone's day rates thousand bucks with all of the, the taxes that we're now responsible for, the, the payroll fees, the workers' comp insurance, all of that stuff that we're responsible for. A thousand dollar day rate actually costs me about twelve hundred dollars. And so immediately any budgets we're working with, you know. The whole budget doesn't get decreased by 21%, but any any portion of the budget going towards hiring people does suddenly lose 21%. So that kind of like kicked the wind out of us a little bit, but we found a way to, to make it work. And um, in some ways it's been a good thing because it's we you know, we've learned a lot about how some of the the more legitimate large scale entities run their their workflow. Um, and that's been useful. But Definitely, there was a moment at the beginning of the year, we were all sitting in our new office, you know, at our desks, ready to go. And like, wait, is this over now that it just started <laughs> again? You know, like, is the is the year over before it begins? Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of the short of that. Um, I've heard actually that Uber and Lyft are not complying with the law, even though they should be, and they're actually spending some insane amount of money to lobby to get it repealed. So mm -hmm. we'll see what happens with that. But it's definitely a lot harder to hire crew members as independent contractors now in the state of California. And 
if Uber and Lyft aren't able to get the law repealed, I'm pretty sure it's going to become before long a nationwide thing. Yeah. But right now it's kind of unique to California and I think New York as well. Yeah. So that applies a lot for companies hiring independent contractors. What about if you're just a freelancer <laughs> doing like something like a wedding or um, like a one-off uh, project? Yeah. I mean, technically you're, you're playing with fire a little bit there. Um, my hope is that the state is not interested in destroying people over trying to make <laughs> their small operations work. But technically, technically, for each time that you misclassify an independent contractor when they should have been considered an employee, so that could be one day. So if you have a 10-day shoot and you hired a gaffer for 10 days as an independent contractor and they should have been an employee, that's considered 10 times that you misclassified them. For each one of those times, if the state finds out, they could potentially fine you up to $25,000 per time. So in that scenario, again, who knows how likely it is, but you could be looking at a fine of upwards of $250,000, which is why we made the switch. We decided to just not even gamble. Um, again, I would hope that the state is not <laughs> Since it seems like their intention is to really go after people like Uber and Lyft, I would hope that they wouldn't exercise that ability to destroy a small wedding photographer duo or whatever. But technically, technically, if you want to be really safe, you should be hiring them as an employee mm -hmm. for the time being anyways. We'll see if things change. But Yeah, so that's for if you're going to hire somebody, not if you hire yourself, correct? Yeah, I mean, if it's just you by yourself, you're considered a, self a sole proprietor and, and you are the business and the employee in one thing, essentially. Mm -hmm. All right. You don't have to hire oh. yourself each yes. time you work. Chris, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do you have any thoughts? Yeah, so I recently finished school. And so um, even before that, I was doing like contract work with a bunch of projects and I had a couple projects lined up. And around when 85 went into action January 1st, I lost a couple jobs because a lot of people didn't know how the law was going to operate or how mm. it was going to function. And that was pretty brutal to me because I was looking forward to working on those jobs. I was looking forward to those paychecks or whatever. And the other thing that I kind of realized is that a lot of my friends who are musicians, who are artists, who are also contract workers, so to speak, or do commission-based uh, projects, they were in a really big state of limbo and it caused a huge disruption to our industry. Um, but I think this is as, as bad as this law, you know, may have first come into swing. It, it is ultimately to there to try to protect people, hopefully. But I think an important thing to kind of do now for people who are about to enter this industry or who are in the industry currently is to just keep abreast of where the law goes and see how it transforms and evolves. The best thing you can do as any employee or as any person working in the workforce is to be aware of the things that affect your job or affect people that yeah. are adjacent to you. And that way you can make the best educated decision and consult people who may have a lot more knowledge on how this works or how you can kind of work within the system, but still receive the protection and the benefits of being a contract worker in some ways. So I think this is a really weird time, you know, all things <laughs> considered. But I think it is a good lesson to make sure you're informed, whatever job you're doing. Make sure you're informed of the law surrounding your job. Yeah, definitely. Kenton, do you have any thoughts on this? Um, I didn't really ever pay much attention to this law because I only thought about it early for the Uber and Lyft people. I had no idea like about the other things that it could affect. So it's interesting. Yeah, it, it affects all independent contractors. Yeah, yeah it's a little frustrating because it's, you know, I, Chris and I are kind of familiar with the impact it's had on us specifically, but, you know, there are a lot of like, you know, when they were first saying the law was going to go into place, there were all kinds of things happening, like truckers that are independent contractors were, were literally like <laughs> fleeing to, to bordering states like Arizona, Nevada, and, and Oregon because, you know, they didn't know if suddenly, you know, hey, you know, I'm an independent contractor, I own my truck, whenever I get hired for a job, you know, the, the trucking company pays me 
for the actual, you know, work, but then they also lease my truck. And, you know, I spent $200,000 on this truck and I'm still paying it off. If suddenly I have to be classified as an employee, they're not going to want to lease my truck. They're going to want to have me just drive my own. And then somehow they're going to want to have me drive their truck. And somehow I'm going to have to figure out how to pay off this, you know, this car loan I have that's basically as big as like a small house, you know, Mm $200,000, something like that. And um, there's a lot of industries like that and like translators, I guess, basically a huge portion of the translation industry is all independent contractors. And Mm -hmm. there's kind of all these people that are getting really hurt by the law that um, it's kind of all this like collateral damage that I don't think the state anticipated. Um, So like my personal opinion is that I think we, I would hope that we can come back to some, maybe like a middle ground because I think it's important what they're trying to do. I, I do think that there's a lot of people that get taken advantage of being hired as independent contractors instead of employees, but it would be nice for people to have the choice, you know, yeah. and not be forced into becoming employees if they don't want to. Yeah. yeah. That's my take on that. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Any last thoughts on AB5 or producing in general? Mm-hmm. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to like add one last thing for me, I learned a lot of things about producing out of the, a lot of the failures that I had. And mm. a lot of the failures that I've encountered have really stuck with me. And it's stuff that sometimes has kept me up at night. Sometimes I've lost sleep over. Sometimes I've just obsessively like replayed in my head. Um, but as someone who's, who was beginning to do that process and learning how to do that process properly, trying to think of all of the what ifs, okay, could I have done this more effectively? Could I have asked this question could i have you know like you know prepped this idea better or communicated better there's a lot of things that you can always do better um but also one thing that i learned is that sometimes you can do absolutely everything right and it still goes wrong and you just kind of have to let it go and as long as you are making your best effort and trying your damnedest to hit all the right check boxes as a student producer you should be confident in saying I did the work and I can move on from this. When obviously you have more legal things and legal issues or whatever, you need to be more atten- paying more attention to that. But as a student, learning to produce your own film and learning to take the failure but also compartmentalize it is very important uh, to making more products and more projects later on in life. Yes, I think learning from your failures and trying to do everything right and making sure that or at least knowing yourself what you've done right is huge another thing is that uh collaborating with a good producer can make your project 10 times better and will make a director (laughs) so thankful (laughs) yep yeah definitely Mm -hmm. all right any last thoughts any of you guys just get out there and shoot some stuff yeah amen (laughs) just do it yes (laughs) you never know if you don't ask (laughs) it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission no 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 no. producer cut that cut that last segment (laughs) (laughs) no comment that's it thanks once again to christian kenton brand mayor and eric hardy you can find eric's production company at longdivision.film i hope you enjoyed this episode and you listen to more